Welcome to the Medical Menemist Podcast, your source for memory techniques and accelerated learning in higher education. Now, here's your host, Chase DeMarco. Hello and welcome back. I'm your host, Chase DeMarco. And today, instead of continuing on with the recap series, we're going to take a brief detour to a very useful and informative interview because the information we're going to cover is very vital to what we've been discussing about not learning how to learn early on and how can we rectify this now in our current studies. I also wanted to mention an event that's coming up and there are limited free seats available at this event. So if you can write this down, enter it into your phone right now, or use one of the many mnemonic techniques that we've discussed in the past to remember this until you have the ability to go and sign up. I'm going to host the first ever Medical Nemonist Meetup. So this is where you all can come, join a group session, discuss with me the problems you're having, the obstacles you're running into, listen to advice from myself and from other colleagues within the group. And there are a limited number of free seats for this, only 25 seats for this first one. We're going to test the water a little bit and see how it works out. If it's really fun and you learn a lot from it, maybe we can do it more regularly. But to get your ticket, go to freemeded.org meetup. And that'll take you to the registration page for the event. So freemeded.org slash meetup. And one last bit of news, the online medical education summit page should be up in the next week or two. Do make sure to subscribe to this show or to subscribe to our newsletter so you know when these events come out. There will also probably be a limited number of free seats for that. You're going to want to hop on this immediately. And now on with today's show. On today's episode, we have Ian Gibbs, speaker on academic learning and author of multiple books, including 23 Tips to Learn Stuff Better. He's also started YouTubing his content to spread his experience to a wider audience. Today, we will learn how to learn stuff better and become more productive in our academic and clinical lives. Ian, thank you so much for coming on the show. Jason, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much for inviting me. I'm really glad we can finally meet. We have a lot of uh, scheduling conflicts that have happened over the past couple of weeks or months. And uh, I think that some of your content here and anything to learn stuff better is going to be really great for the audience. So I'm glad we could get together. Absolutely. My pleasure. So do you want to discuss a little bit about sort of what got you into the topic of learning better and how you put the content together for the book? It depends at what point of my past you want to, where you want to begin. But let's begin with the, the first book that I wrote, which was called The Sorites Principle. And The Sorites Principle is basically this, the common observation that we all know that if you do a significant action, a purposeful action regularly, day after day, month after month, you will eventually achieve something very substantial, even though... The, the small action that you do for those few minutes per day is quite insignificant. Examples of this are practicing a, a sport or gymnastics, weightlifting, studying as a clear example, uh, practicing languages, etc. That from one day to another, the, the progress that you make is insignificant. You really don't finish studying one day and think, oh, yes, I know it now know it all. You don't finish your gym workout and then afterwards say, oh, yes, now my muscles are really fantastic. The change is, is minimal. And we all know that this regular practice gets us to where we want to go. And yet so many people find it very difficult to actually complete with that. Essentially, because these steps are insignificant, we don't value them. There's always something shinier. There's always something else happening. 
And so the book was really about every day, the everyday practices you can do and the tricks and techniques that successful people use to keep doing these things every day. So that was the first step. And then the second step was that my publisher said, well, this book is, is actually pretty good. Why don't you do a follow-up, actually applying it to something and see what happens? And so I applied it to language learning. And I got into this routine. I applied all the principles. And basically, I learned two years worth of, of a new language in five months. I applied for the, for the official exam and I passed. You know, it wasn't a super pass, but nevertheless, hey, you know, for me, who is not a linguist, I'm not a linguist. I'm not fascinated by languages. In fact, my, one of my worst subjects at school was Spanish, my foreign language exam. Uh, I got the worst, I'm quite proud of this, the worst grade in the history of my school. So somebody who, who said that he would never be good at languages to learn a language four times faster, that was pretty impressive. But what I realized that all these language learning things that I discovered when I tried this out, all these, all these little things that I found to repeat every day, and this is bearing in mind that, you know, I'm not, I don't make my money from this. I, I have a full-time job. I have a full-time family. What I was doing was not taking up a huge amount of my day. And nevertheless, applying those language learning techniques helped me learn four times faster. And what I realized was that actually a lot of these language learning techniques are not language learning techniques. They're just learning techniques. And this was, this was when I got my realization that, hang on a minute, this, this is really powerful stuff. And then I, got, then I got a bit upset because I thought, well, hang on, why didn't anybody tell me this when I was a university student? It, it would have been really useful to be able to learn stuff four times faster. And so basically, the book, 23 Tips to Learn Stuff Better, are the key points from the work that I did before packaged up into a very, very user-friendly book. It's especially very thin because students have got enough to read as it is without having to read, you know, 300 pages of text. So it's very, it's very condensed. It's very specific and to the point. And I wrote this book to myself. This is the book that I would have thought, right, if I could send this book back through time to when I was a university student, this is the book that I would have wanted. That's basically... How, how we got here. I was four years at university and the definition of learning for me was attending classes, making notes, reading, and then going over your notes. And I would spend four, five hours in the afternoon, evening, in my, locked in my room, basically wasting my time because I thought that reading and going over your notes until your eyes sort of like stuck to the back of your head was the way to learn stuff. And that is so wrong. And it was so much time wasted. That is a lot of great information. I agree with every point you said. I, most of our guests on the show in the past have said something similar, like we really should be learning learning skills. We should be learning study skills as early as grade school, primary school, but it doesn't really happen. And then they just assume that you know it when you get to high school. They assume you know it when you get to undergrad. They still assume you know these skills when you get to graduate school. And something that happens to a lot of students that get to graduate school, as is a similar story that happened to me, is I didn't struggle through undergrad. So I didn't have to necessarily develop more advanced skills. And then when I got to medical school, it was much more difficult. I could do the, you know, the block exams every month. I could pass 
most of the assignments fine there, but retaining the information for long periods of time, such as when you're not taking a board exam for one, two, three years, and you still have to retain the information from all those years ago, those types of skills, the longer retention skills uh, specifically, were never really taught or really covering the quantity of information that is common in medical school. You say that you, you, you didn't have too much problems at the beginning, but imagine that somebody had actually gone through with you, that you'd had some tutor or mentor or coach or whatever to actually help you refine the skills that you had developed for yourself. If you found it okay when you were studying, then what could you achieve? What, what could you have achieved if you had been shown the best technique? Probably twice as much easily. <laughs> one of the simplest methods of learning, one of the most powerful and simplest and straightforward, is after you have been studying something for half an hour, an hour, maximum. You know, because after that time, your brain is just frazzled. You find another human being and sit them down and very quietly try to explain to that person what it is that you've just been studying. And if you can have a coherent conversation where you can reasonably confident put into words what it is that you've just been talking, what it is that you've just been reading or listening to or whatever then you can be fairly sure that you've grasped the ideas. Not only if you read something and you explain it to somebody else, then that in itself helps you consolidate what it is that you're studying. But if you're talking to a group of other students who've been trying to learn the same thing, then not only are you explaining your ideas to those people, but those people, rather than just simply listening, are evaluating what you're saying. Have they understood it the same way? Do they agree? Is there anything that you've missed out? It's not just a low-level conversation that you have, which in itself is still much better than not doing it at all. But if you can have a conversation with, with a classmate about what it is that you think that you've learned and listen to what they think they've learned and come to some sort of common agreement, that's even more powerful. I think this coincides really well with some topics that have been discussed in, in some cognitive psychology episodes where basically what you're describing here is a section of recall practice that is very popular in medical realms. We usually use uh, different flashcard programs and stuff like that to bring information back up and make sure that you can recall it without being primed by something, without reading your notes and saying, oh yeah, I recognize that. That's recognition memory, but that's not recall memory. So this actually acts as your first recall and then you can space it out later on, whether that be discussing it with someone else later on or doing it via flashcards. And it kind of goes into a very common saying in clinical medicine, which is generally the third and fourth year for American medical students. But we don't really have this as much in most schools for the first and second year is see one, do one, teach one. Uh, when you're talking about more lecture-based materials and these types of textbook materials, you're seeing it by reading it. You're, I guess doing it by going over it in your head, maybe the metaphor doesn't quite fit, but then you're teaching it by explaining it to someone else. But it also has the added benefit of sort of a peer mentorship, which I really like. So if you got something wrong, then they can correct you or they can add their little interpretation to it that might make it clearer for you. You said something really interesting, which I'm not sure that I've, I've heard before, which is uh, see one. See one, do one, teach one is uh, a 
really common saying, especially in surgical rotations, but in clinical practice. So it's sort of that peer mentorship uh, aspect of doing it and making sure you know it well enough to teach it to someone else. Teaching is is one of the, the most powerful ways I find to, to make sure that you've learned something. Absolutely. In, in my, my kids are nine years old. I've got twins. And the school that they go to thinks of itself as a, a modern learning school, which I, I'm not quite sure I agree with. But nevertheless, they, they do make an effort. And one of the things that they do is that they get the 11, 12-year-old kids to teach the seven, eight-year-old kids reading skills, numeracy skills, and stuff like this. And this idea that when you teach something to somebody else, you learn it better yourself. Absolutely. I think this is something that we could be making a lot more of in schools and colleges. That in, in fact, and the teachers would have a great time because, you know, you just sit back and do nothing. And you get the, <laughs> you get the students to stand up and teach the subject to everybody else. You get a lot of doctors that are teaching, but they might be more along the lines of PhDs and they teach the PhD level. And it's kind of, it's not a good translation to MD students that might not need to know that amount of detail or the newest cool thing that the PhD is working on right now or something like that. So you, you get such a weird mixture of lectures that I agree it's, it's hit or miss, but uh, having a better method, I think every student would enjoy. One thing that you mentioned before about the space repetition flashcard system, which, which I used a lot with my language learning. I, I did a lot of vocabulary with it. It worked really, really well. Uh, I used uh, an app, which I'm sure you might have talked about on this program, Anki app. Yep, that's a very common one for med students. And I was going to ask you, how can we, uh, as medical students or anyone listening to the show, use some of these skills that you learned, you know, language four times faster? So this is perfect. So what, one of the things then is that we're very, very good at recognizing stuff okay what i mean by that is that that you you cover a subject you read a page you watch a video whatever listen to a podcast and as soon as you've been exposed to it you recognize it so the next time that you come back to it you recognize it and therefore you you have this automatic feeling that you've learned it because you recognize it and yet as any student knows who's looked at stuff the night before the exam and yet is sat there in the exam and they can't remember it. Recognizing stuff is not the same as being able to remember it. And so the first point here is that as far as being a student goes, at university, I certainly spent far too much time recognizing stuff and just going over it when it was in front of me. And I spent almost no time at all for eight months of the year trying to remember stuff right? Maybe a few weeks before the exam, I got my flashcards out and I got my, my revision sheets, etc., and started to test myself just a few weeks before the exam. And one of my points that, that when I give my talks uh, is that the brain, uh, and I know medically you're going to go, oh, no, 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 that's not true. You can't say that. But the brain is like a, is a muscle in the sense, <laughs> in the sense in a very non-medical sense, that if you want to develop your muscles, you have to do exercise every day for months to get it to be big and strong and to work properly. And for me, remembering is exactly the same. 
in the gym or for football practice, you can't do nothing for eight months and then expect to do one month's workout to become a top player. And so you can't not practice remembering stuff for eight months and then the month before your exam suddenly start trying to remember and memorize things and expect to be able to be a, a top student in the exam. Part of your daily revision or study workout has to involve trying to remember stuff. Simple as that. Because the rather than a sponge, I'm, I'm mixing my metaphors all over the place here. Rather than a sponge, you know, people say, oh, your brain's like a sponge that you, you absorb so much rubbish and et cetera, et cetera. No, no, it's not like that. It's not like that at all. The, the brain is like, uh, it's like dry, dry earth. After a drought, the, the ground turns into concrete. And if you take a bucket of water and throw it onto the ground, on, onto the hard concrete earth, the water will just pour off. It doesn't go into the ground because it needs time. And the brain is like that. The brain needs time to remember lots of stuff. Yes, there are memory techniques. Yes, you've got space repetition system. Yes, you have mnemonics and you have visualization and you have the loci system and you've got all of these different ways. But in the end, you can't just expect that in the last few weeks before your exam, these different useful ways of remembering stuff are all going to work at magic overnight. You have to use these systems. You can use these systems to learn stuff, to remember stuff better, which, which are brilliant. But you have to be using them from the very beginning of the course. I, I tell my, 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 the students that I coach, that they, should, they have to start making their revision cards from the very first day of, of the course. They need to be making a couple of revision cards for after every class. What's the key point of the class? What's the key thing, the key idea from the study session that you've just done? Make a couple of revision cards and keep building them up. So that at the end of your course, you'll have thousands of revision cards, but you won't have had to try to remember them all in just a few weeks, you've remembered them over a period of time. And, and that works much better. I was going to say a good metaphor, at least for my brain, is like a coffee filter. It'll hold it for a short period of time, but eventually it drips right through. Yep. Yep. <laughs> And I think uh, the aspect of making your cards initially is something that there's a lot of like online debate about for medical students on the forums. And uh, we have a particular recommendation that we wrote in our book, Read This Before Medical School. And it definitely says uh, most of the science shows that if you make them yourselves, you're going to remember it better. But students argue, I don't have enough time to keep making all of these myself. So they will use pre-made cards. No. And there's tons no. and tons of those online. So No. <laughs> no, I'm completely with you there. Completely. My my argument would be you don't have the time not to make these cards. To to make a flashcard, what takes 20 seconds? And it, and what what's more, if you've been studying and at the end of that that 1 hour period, you go back and think, what is the key things from what I've just studied? That process in itself of evaluating what you've learned, of, of summarizing the ideas and coming up with what are the key points, that in itself is, a, is, a, is an important learning process. And certainly, hand-making cards or writing, writing notes out by hand, writing summaries out by hand, it's, it's been proven, I don't know how many times, 
that given you have students who make notes on their computer during class and you have the students that make the notes by hand and time after time it's been demonstrated that the students that make the notes by hand remember it better simple as that mm -hmm. very true Yep. And that's another reason why I kind of like mind maps when people have the time to do them. But I, for some reason, I guess the tactile sensation seems to increase the memory. But also when you're making your own verse pre-made cards, you have to synthesize the information yourself. You have to make sure you understand it well enough to ask the proper question. And if you just get a large pre-made deck with tens of thousands of cards, it's not going to be personalized and it's not going to be in the same order of the material you're being presented in class. So I could see it more for a review before a board exam, but not for in-class studying. And for that, you really need to make your own. Absolutely. It's in fact, um, making the flashcards, writing them out, doing the doodles or the diagrams or the colors or whatever. Once, if for a whole course of what, medical students, seven years? Well, it depends where you're starting from. So four years of undergrad, four years of medical school, and then several years of residency, depending on what right, residency okay. you go into. Basically, if you can imagine the amount of flashcards you would have during that whole period, you, you know, you'd be talking about fast wads of these things. Uh, but you've done it yourself. You've put in the effort yourself. You put the visualization, the creativity, the ideas, it's all there. And it's it's like, what what you just said, buying a set of flashcards and using those, it's the equivalent of either climbing Mount Everest yourself or being taken by a helicopter and put on the top. It's not the same. It, it's not the same. You, you, you can't, you just can't. You know, it, if somebody takes you in a helicopter and dumps you at the top and says, there you are, you've done it. That's, you, you're a fantastic climber. Then obviously that's, well, it's a load of rubbish. Buying a wad of flashcards from somebody it's it's just so not right it's just so not right in so many ways i'm sorry i apologize to all the companies who try to make it an honest living from putting a lot of thought into these flashcards but i i, I disagree i disagree the only thing yeah. i can see it, it also potentially being useful for and i guess i had the same sort of disagreement or conversation with some of the mnemonics companies out there like sketchy medicine and pigmonic is again coming back to the time constraints for our students sometimes they find it useful to do a combination so they'll get maybe a free pre-made deck online they'll sort through them they'll get rid of a bunch that they don't want edit the ones that they do want if that saves time i can sort of understand using it but it does have to be very specific for the point in time that you're at if you're one month into your medical studies versus six months versus 18 months you can't just receive a gigantic deck of cards and expect to sort through them and find the ones relevant to your current level of knowledge. I want to take a brief moment here to thank two new reviewers of the podcast. First one is from Lazy Journeyman from Ghana, titled Very Resourceful. The techniques and suggestions from the podcast have revolutionized how I approach my studies in medical school. I have more free time without compromising my retention. 100% recommended. Well, thank you, Lazy Journeyman. I do appreciate it, and I hope others are also gaining some useful advice from this. The second one is from Australia Girl 85 uh, You can guess where she's probably from. I'm trying really hard not to do a terrible accent here and make a down-under joke. It's titled, Excellent Host, Podcast Perfect for Medical Students. Thank you. 
Thank you, Chase, for taking the time to create this podcast. I hope people who need this will find you. Your questions to the guests are very relevant and relatable to us who are getting roadblocks studying in medical settings. More success to your podcast. Thank you, Australia Girl 85 I do appreciate these reviews and anyone that reaches out. I've been getting more emails and social media contacts as well. Thank you guys for letting me know how much you appreciate this. I will try to help you out in any way I can. Let me know any roadblocks you're hitting and join the meetup that's coming up. Maybe we can actually meet in person or digitally anyway. Everyone else, feel free to leave a review or chat me up and I'll mention you on the show as well. And I'm glad that you're receiving some useful information from this. All right, back to the show. But it, it, to an extent, just remembering stuff is not really the point, is it? Because if the exam is simply testing your ability to remember facts and figures, then for me, the, the test is not very good unless the objective is to produce a load of students who are just capable of regurgitating facts and figures. Uh, surely the whole point of being a medical student is to be able to go out and save people's lives and do stuff, apply stuff and actually do stuff and build on that and actually, you know, create small miracles. On top of memory, you have understanding all these ideas, not just being able to remember them. And on top of that, you have the ability to apply these, this understanding in the real world. So this idea is it's not just remembering stuff from flashcards uh, or, or various mnemonic devices and whatever. It's applying it. It's, it's doing it and teaching it. It's a very physical thing. I mean, fortunately, medicine is a, is a wonderfully real-life science. When, when I did astrophysics, I mean, astrophysics is just glorified mathematics i apologize to all the astrophysicists listening to this poor podcast. neil degrasse tyson <laughs> frankly it's not the most it's it's not the most applicable science that there is out there and so the amount of stuff that you can actually do with astrophysics is extremely extremely limited whereas with medicine there's got lots and lots of stuff in real life that you can go out you can actually apply it to i mean that's the whole point isn't it yeah, unfortunately, there is a lot of memorization for the board exams too, but there is a lot of conceptual information too. So it's an interesting mix. And I think a lot of both students and physicians have complained about, especially the first board exam, the USMLE Step 1, because of the amount of memorization for certain types of disciplines, for certain questions. But it does usually involve a lot of conceptual as well. So memorizing this gene on a very rare genetic disorder or where on the gene that this disease occurs, it's not really important to most medical professionals. So memorizing that seems kind of pointless, but they haven't gotten rid of all of it. So we do have a mix of conceptual and memorization type material on the exam right now. I mean, one of the things that, I mean, I don't know if this is heresy that I'm about to say, and all your, all your listeners will go, oh God, this guy is so stupid. How can he say that? It's not so much being able to remember it, it's being able to find out where that information is as soon as you need it now. With our access to knowledge and information, my father, he was taught to use a slide rule. He was taught to use a slide rule at school. And we don't teach that anymore because we're not expected to use slide rules. And now it's like, well, we expect students to remember a whole load of stuff. And yet, 
all that stuff is now available at, at the touch of a button. If, if you, if you want to know something, you know, if I want to know something, I don't have to remember that the capital of, I don't know, Somalia is Mogadishu, whatever. I, I can just get hold of my phone and within 15 seconds, I know what the answer is. I know where to find that information. And I think one of the things that we're not teaching students enough is how to, to find out information for themselves, where to get stuff from if they want to know it. Because we don't, we, as human beings, our brains are simply not designed to remember loads of stuff. It's not. We are, we are extremely good at, at recognizing things and we're very good at problem solving. So my, my issue with an exam that simply wants you to remember loads of stuff is, is this actually what doctors are expected to do in real life? Are they expected to remember all this stuff really in their jobs? Or are they allowed to like just check it very quickly to make sure that, that they've got it right? Yeah, I agree too. The the philosophy of exam creation is uh, is something that's really an interesting topic, and there's not a lot of transparency about. So I guess we just won't know because we're not the exam writers. Get get one on the program, Chase. Get one on the program. I did have uh, one for the Inside the Boards podcast that used to be on the board, so I got to pick his mind a little bit. But uh, I think there's still a lot of things that no one is quite comfortable discussing anyway. So. It does seem like so far we've been focusing a lot on ways that students can implement these techniques in their you know, own studies is really revolving around flashcards and also discussing in peer groups whenever possible to make sure you understand it, that you can teach it to someone and also to get their peer feedback and mentorship. So having groups for this type of material can be very useful. Are there any other particular techniques that you would recommend for medical students and graduate students in particular? I'm not sure if it's a good idea, but one of the things that I talk about a lot with the people that I coach is this business of making mistakes and getting it wrong. I find that a lot of the time, the educational system is about being right, getting the right answer, rather than understanding the process. A common example, for instance, is if, if you have, you know, take my kids, let's, let's go all the way by nine-year-old students. They produce a set of maths homework, you know, they've got five questions and one of them is wrong. And so they themselves get very upset that they've got one wrong. And often it's the teacher or, or the parent who would focus on the question that's wrong. Now, I don't know what it's like in the United States, but over this side of the pond, getting 80% right in an exam is actually considered to be pretty good. So rather than focusing on what's wrong, if they focused on what was right, then the self-esteem of the student can, can be vastly improved. What, what I mean is that a, a, lot of, a lot of learning is psychological. It's this belief, oh, I'm a bad student, or for, with myself, I honestly believe that I was incapable of learning language as a student. I thought, I'm, I'm a bad language student. Language is not for me. I'm never going to be, you know, I'm never going to live in Spain. I'm never going to be able to speak Spanish. I'm certainly never going to be married to a Spanish wife. My kids are never going to be speaking Spanish, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, what... <laughs> how wrong can you be but the point is is that it was my own my own attitude 
which very much influenced what I was capable of learning. Because I, I believed that I wasn't good at something because I made a lot of mistakes, then I, I developed into this self-perpetuating spiral, this vicious circle of I'm having a problem with this subject. So when I approach it, I'm going to believe that it's going to be difficult. Therefore, I'm not going to be motivated. Therefore, I'm not going to put in the time. Therefore, I'm not going to get the, the results that other students are getting. Therefore, I'm bad at it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If you go into a subject, not with this idea that you've got to get it right all the time, but simply that you, you're, you're allowed to make mistakes. You're allowed to get it wrong. There's a big stigma in studies about getting things wrong. And yet, we're going back to sports coaches, gymnastics, you, if you look at, at sportsmen, sportswomen, they're, they're constantly pushing themselves to, to be able to achieve amazing things that were almost beyond their human limit. The guy uh, who ran the, under the two-hour marathon, big thing, big thing over here. I think it was the London Marathon. He was the, he's the first human being to run a marathon in under two hours, I think. He talks about all the times that he's tried to do it and failed, tried and failed, tried and failed. And this, this idea of reaching your optimum peak on a, on a subject, whether it's medicine or arts or sport or whatever, this idea of constantly trying to push yourself to the maximum. But because you are trying to do something that, that you find difficult to do, you are going to fail. You're going to fail the first, the tenth, the hundredth time. You, you find something that you try to study and you say, oh, I just, I don't understand this. I, I can't do it. This, this is just not for me. And you almost talk yourself into this idea that you are not going to be able to learn it. And because you believe that, because you've got it wrong, then the system says you are a failure at studying. And if we, if we spent more time valuing the amount of of effort that we put in trying to get it right, even though we fail, I think a lot more of us would reach those higher, further limits that we may think that, that are beyond us with the current system. Let me see if I can sort of interpret and translate this for medical students in particular. What I'm understanding from this and what I, maybe this is also some of my own personal notions, but you're going to make mistakes as a student. You're going to make mistakes as a resident. You're still going to make mistakes as a physician. You are human. You will make mistakes. Getting down on yourself about it is just going to lead to that negative downward spiral, and you don't need that. But my personal view would be getting something wrong is not getting it wrong. If you, one, can't figure out the correct answer after you got it wrong the first time, and two, don't know why you made the mistake, then you need to start worrying. But if you can do those, then you're progressing. You are figuring out how to better yourself and better your knowledge. Maybe one way to do this would be deliberate practice, as we had Andres Erickson on before, and kind of the pathway to mastery and constant betterment of your education and knowledge. Uh, absolutely. It's, it's, it's your attitude. It's your knee-jerk attitude to getting it wrong, which makes a fundamental difference. Don't look at mistakes as bad things that you should try and get rid of. Look at them as learning opportunities. And so you translate that to students and you say, right, you've got this wrong. Why didn't you get the correct answer? 
what is it that's causing you to not produce what it is that you're wanting to produce whether that's uh, remembering stuff or trying to understand something or trying to apply it or, or whatever and to have more of an open-minded attitude to learning in general it's, it's, it's mindset really, isn't it? It's having this idea that it's not that I am, I'm not very good at neurosurgery or whatever. If you have the right attitude and you just apply yourself and, and put in the effort, you will eventually become the world's best brain surgeon. While you were discussing all that, I was just thinking in the back of my head, man, this reminds me of like the mindset and grit sections of my book and like how we cover all these ways to, to make sure that you could persevere through all of the trials and tribulations of med school. So the basic concept you're trying to say is, yeah, the, the mindset of not getting down on yourself when you get something wrong as a student. Yeah. There's one example that I'd like to share with you, a personal story, which I think in itself is quite powerful. This is about my, my niece. When this started, she was only 12 years old. She was about to start secondary school. And when I was, before I published my book, 23 Tips to Learn Stuff Better, I was asked by my publisher to send out a manuscript to a few people to get them to read and give me some feedback. So I, I sent it to my, to my sister. Not, not because it, as I say, it was written for university students. It wasn't, I wasn't writing it for for 12 year old kids but nevertheless cadence decided off her own back that she was going to actually to read what her uncle had written and this is just before she 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 started secondary school and she decided that she was going to apply these learning techniques to her own course now before she started school in september she had never really achieved anything of significance in, in the year before uh, primary school, while she was 11, 12 years old, she'd not shone out in any particular way. Not, not a bad student, but not a brilliant student. In the first month of her new school, the, her teacher was so impressed with her studies that she took a photograph of one of her pieces of homework and posted it on the school website, which was nice, you know, other students got their work posted on the school website. But nevertheless, for, for Cadence, that was, that was a first for her to be a singled out and said, you know, that was really good. The following month, the headmaster of the school wrote her a letter recognizing the outstanding work that she was coming up with. And that he congratulated her and said that he was, he was looking forward to seeing what she would achieve because she was precisely the sort of student that, that he wanted in their school and the last time that the headmaster had written such a letter before was seven years ago was seven years previous and since then th this was last year since then cadence has won best homework of the of the year best student of the year and she's now the first student in the history of the school to have actually the the, the school thought that what she, that what she's producing is so good that they, they gave her a kindle but this is something of value. It's not a piece of paper with a signature and a couple of gold stars on it. This is something of value. It's the first time that anybody has been given something like this because they think that what she's doing is absolutely marvelous. And what I'm saying is that because she's been applying this idea of constant trying to remember stuff rather than just read it, this idea of discussing ideas, the idea of using different learning techniques, even at first year in secondary school, 
she has risen above everybody else in just 12 months. Not only that, but now her attitude to herself, the, the self-confidence that she has, the self-esteem, the mindset that she now goes to school as believing, I am a confident student. I can do this. I am capable. That is such an amazing thing to have as a student because I'm sure you somebody said it already here, but as like Henry Ford said, if you believe you can or you can't, then you're going to be right. You know, but because she believes that she's going to learn really well, then she does. And my, my point is, is that if everybody in the school had been shown how to study, how to learn stuff effectively, then what would the education system be like? Because if, if, if I managed to learn uh, two years worth of stuff in five months, basically I learned four times quicker than if I'd have attended a normal course, if I can do it and, and Cadence can do it, then how would that change the lives of those who did want to apply it? How would it change educational institutions that wanted to apply it as a general process? What would the lives of medical students be like who had, had, had learned to do this and were so comfortable with taking new information, new ideas, new processing them, learning them and applying them? that you know that it was just natural for them what would the world the educational world be like then i definitely agree that's something i bring up all the time we can all learn so much better so much faster that having an intellectually superior species i'm not sure who we're superior to but the whole species just being smarter than we currently are i guess just goes to benefit everyone we'd be more intelligent we'd be more accepting we'd be more skilled at a multitude of different intellectual and creative activities uh, there's just no downside but as long as we're stuck in a very archaic method of teaching and really not teaching students to learn but teaching them material we are unlikely to get past that stage yeah if you're a carpenter then you're expected to have the right tools to be able to do the job and if you're a carpenter and all you've got is a hammer then the things that you're capable of doing are very, very limited. And as students, if we are given the right tools to be able to do the job, then, then people can produce masterpieces. Whereas if you're not given those learning tools or learning techniques, then you can't produce anything of, of value. It's going to be extremely difficult. And so this is my mission now to basically help me as a university student if i could go back in time to help those those students who are suffering what, what i had to suffer when i was a, a lowly astrophysicist student well it seems we have a common mission there uh, <laughs> i think that is some great parting advice uh, i don't know if you have any other parting thoughts or recommendations I, I recommend listening to this podcast uh, as often as it comes out and just accepting the fact that, that if you find it difficult to do something, then you can learn to do it better. It doesn't mean to say that just because you, you find numbers or language or science or anything, just because you struggle with it, that doesn't mean to say that you're not capable of doing it. If there's something that you want to achieve, whether it's learning or losing weight or becoming, I don't know, like Arnold Schwarzenegger or whatever, so long as you do the right little things, 
every day as often as you can, then mathematically speaking, you are going to get there. It's just a question of patience and perseverance, not of ability. If you want to be able to run a marathon, then you just practice regularly and you eventually will be able to run a marathon. I think these are great points. And I definitely want to invite you all past guests and all audience members to come on to our Facebook group, the Medical Nemesis Mastermind, and we can pitch ideas to each other. We can share different skills and different trainings and really learn a lot from each other. So that's what I'd recommend to everyone listening to this right now. I think it's excellent advice and a very good suggestion. Well, Ian Gibbs, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been wonderful. A lot of useful tips here and uh, we'll add all the links in the show notes for you. Thank you very much, Jake. And again, my my congratulations on what you've achieved with this podcast so far. I understand you've been doing it since January. Uh, I hope that it will go go for many more years. <laughs> Thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed this episode. For links to connect to us, email us, or for previous episodes, please see the show notes. We'd also love to hear from you. So please send an email or join us on the Medical Nemesis Mastermind Facebook group. Any ideas, tips, tricks, people that you'd like to hear interviewed, we'd love to hear it. Any advice to make the show better and more enjoyable would be greatly appreciated.